Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Or you can turn there here this, this evening, Acts chapter number four. Amen. Continue to be praying for the Kirk family of Pastor Kirk. I think tentatively they had set some some arrangements for Friday and such. And so remember them and that church family. And that that troubled me. I went anymore. It doesn't matter if it's a death that's close to me or people I've known. Again, it, I'm not a morbid person. Okay. But uh, I just, I'm very introspective whenever it comes to things like that in life. I had trouble sleeping that night. I was just considering all the different things. Started thinking about that. He didn't know it, but that last Sunday was the last, that Sunday night was the last message he'd ever preached to his people. On the flip side of it, that'd be the last time they ever heard their pastor preach. But on the side of it, of being a pastor, it would be the last time he ever preached. Didn't have no idea that's going to happen on Monday. And for me, it just told me that you got to preach every message as though it's your last. And reality as a congregation, we need to hear every message as though it was our last. Amen. Hallelujah. So just things like that are sobering, or should be, I should say, should be sobering. Amen. For us in our lives. Acts chapter number four. I want to begin with reading with verse 32, and I'll read to 37, the end of this. We're actually going to get into Acts chapter 5 tonight as well. I didn't know if you knew that was possible, but we're going to. Acts 4 and verse 32. Good to have our guests with us here tonight. Amen. So appreciative of them being here. Amen this evening. The Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the prices of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles feet. Distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Joseph, by who the apostles was, by who, who by the apostles, get the wording right. The apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet here this evening. I want to, our part 16, our act series here, I want to just entitle this The Glory of do unto his name the glory due unto his name we'll pray here tonight so thankful to have bishop and his wife and the masons back amen from their trips as well from over the weekend so glad that they are back with us tonight in the house of the lord amen love them and miss them god we come to you here this evening god i pray jesus that you're able to help us lord in the next little while as we look at your word lord jesus and see lord its application for our own lives I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, tonight that you're able to speak, Lord God, to us, Lord, through it. 
God, help us, Jesus, to understand, Lord. God, and be quick, Lord Jesus, to hear, Lord, what the Spirit would be saying to us tonight. God, and we'll not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated tonight in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The glory due unto his name. Tonight, just kind of give you an idea of what we're doing or what's going to come out here this evening. Looking at the last portion of chapter number four, and we'll be looking at the beginning of chapter number five of Acts. But primarily in chapter number four, uh, what we have seen is, uh, going back like even to the beginning of chapter four, what we have seen primarily is an attack uh, against the church from the outside, right? Uh, we had the rulers of that day that brought those men in that were questioning them concerning the miracle of the lame man. And so there was an attack against the church on the outside, a pressure, a threatening that was there to try to persuade them to no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. So it was an attack from the outside. But we'll see here tonight in the beginning of chapter number five, we have in reality what is sort of a, an attack from the inside of the church. I'll tell you, we, we can bear, I'll say this just clearly, we can bear probably better, better attacks from the outside than we can from the inside of the church. I guarantee you that. But in verses 32 through 35, there's a pattern that is set for us about what is happening with the early church, what begins to take place, this, uh, this mode of giving for the needs of others that are around them. They have become so very aware of others' needs that are in their group and that's around them of their fellow brethren that they begin to do uh, some things in order to generate some funds to take care of the needs of the people. And so there's a pattern set about what starts to take place and then before chapter 4 even ends then we are given a an example of the pattern a particular example through the man uh, by the name of Barnabas uh, an example of this pattern and then in the beginning of chapter number 5 we're given another example but this example is a negative one through the lives of Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning of chapter number 5. Now, just to set the stage for the pattern that is set, this giving pattern, I think it's important tonight to go back even just a little bit, Bishop, to last week or, or the week before. I think, it, no, it was last week, whenever we started to look at how all this thing kind of unraveled, that where the people had these threatenings, they went, first of all, to the Lord, you remember, to prayer, and they acknowledged who he was and they said very little about what their need was and then as a result of uh, of praying and such it would seem that the place was shaken the bible said remember which was indicative of the presence of the lord that had come down among them and not only that but he filled them with the holy ghost he renewed some of them and refreshed some of them with the baptism of the holy ghost and then in in verse number 31 it says that they all spake with boldness which that was one of their prayers that they would speak with boldness so one of their prayers are already answered because they are now speaking with boldness as the scripture had said so you just look at these different things that come as a result of prayer you know the place was shaken his presence came they were renewed and refreshed by the spirit of God and their prayer for boldness was answered but folks it doesn't stop there it doesn't stop in verse 31. It even continues in verse 32 where we picked up with tonight. The influence of their prayer continued so much so that in verse 32, the Bible teaches us here that it spawned a unity among them. 
Prayer spawned a unity that was among them. And it also spawned this, this, this uh, culture of giving. <laughs> this prayer thing culture, it spawned this, this giving culture taking place. And then it also seems to proclaim to us in verse 33 that it also initiated some very powerful preaching. And it all started from this fountainhead of prayer. And so here's something absolute that you can just put in the bank tonight. And that is whenever we pray and the Holy Ghost is at work, that unity will become a result and not a goal you seek for. Does that make sense? I know sometimes we come together, Lord, we need to have unity. Well, if you pray and you get a movement of the Spirit, it'll become a result of all that rather than something you're trying to go after. It'll be present. If you have a move of God or the Holy Ghost in prayer, here's something else that you can put in the bank. Giving will be a blessing and not a burden. Giving will be a blessing and not a burden. And not only that, whenever we pray and there's a move of the Spirit, the preaching won't be weak. It'll be powerful. Not just to the preacher, but to the one that is in the audience. When we pray and we have a move of God. It's later in, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15 later, that we see that Paul is visiting various towns, various churches that are already established. And he's doing this in order to collect some funds for the community of Jerusalem, more importantly the saints of Jerusalem, because they had been stricken with famine. They, the persecution at, at this time had all, already overcome the church. There's been an influx of people into the Jewish community. And as a result of all of this, I mean, famine and influx of people and, and persecution, the saints had fallen on some, some hard times. And so we see, though, really this problem beginning all the way back in Acts chapter number 4. Amen. And it's quite possible. I don't know this for sure. We're just throwing this out for uh, thinking and pondering. It's quite possible that there were people from all these different nations that come on the day of Pentecost, as they often did, and as they did that Pentecost, which was the birth of the church, and they came, and some of them seen and heard and experienced this baptism of the Holy Ghost and was just so enamored by that and what took place and what was established in that moment that they didn't want to go back home. They didn't want to go back to their nation and their city and town. And it's possible that many of them may have even stayed in Jerusalem. And as a result of that, no doubt increased numbers. Uh, living spaces are only, you know, so many that could have created somewhat of a burden for the people in Jerusalem within itself, an obligation. But regardless tonight, uh, nevertheless, how it came about, it was there. There was a need. And the people that were gathered there saw an opportunity to feel the need that was among them. Now, they started sharing of their resources. They started sharing of their resources. And this sharing was not something that was legislated. It's not like, you know, the church, uh, Peter and those stood up and said, I want you all to start, uh, if you got some extra houses or you got some extra property, I want you to sell that and bring that money to us. It's not something that they legislated. It's not something that they demanded of the people. Not one person was told to sell the things that they had or give the money from those sales to the apostles and the apostles would distribute it for the needs of the 
people. None of that was spoken at all. So I, I want to make that straight. Some, some would like to try to paint this passage of Scripture as, as, as communists, you know, com- communism coming. Amen. That's not what it, what it was at all. And just to set the record straight, communism usually has the idea of this. What's yours is mine. All right. What this was was a moving of the spirit where the people plugged into God and to a need and had the attitude, what's mine is yours. You understand? Amen. So this is totally, totally different. They seen a need and through love they wanted to try to fulfill the need. And so they had this sense of unity in this endeavor. And we're not surprised by this. Because in essence, Jesus' own prayer, his high priestly prayer of John 17, was being answered. When he prayed, Father, let them be one as we are one. Right? Did he not pray that? And we see in the book of Acts, that's being answered. It's answered as early as Acts number 2. Them having all things in common. Amen. Or even before Pentecost, being in one mind in one accord. This unity thing is starting to come together at the birth of the church and continuing throughout the book of Acts. But here's the amazing thing. Whenever the church becomes unified, each individual becomes more aware of the other's needs. When the church becomes more unified, and I'm not just talking, yeah, I know old Joey's having a hard time with his whatever payment. I'm not just talking about financial. I'm talking about emotional, talking about spiritual. Whenever we get to a place of unification in the church, we are more sensitive and aware of each other's needs. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians, it tells us very well, it talks about the church and it used this body model or this body example uh, to describe the church. And it's spoken of in Corinthians and in Corinthians 4 in particular, basically that there is a magnified sensitivity to the needs of those that you are connected with or those that you form a body with. For instance, look at Ephesians 4.16. The Bible says, from whom the whom is the head the whom is christ which is the head you can look up at verse 15 and see what i'm telling you is fact from whom the head christ the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth in other words this body is fitly joined and compacted by what each member contributes That happens by what each member contributes. Every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Listen to me. Whenever we talk about what, what every member contributes, and you, you just hear me out before you say you're wrong, there is no such thing as a non-contributing member. Well, Brother McGee and I, let's think about a natural body. What if somebody has a paralyzed arm, whatever? It is still contributing, maybe not in a positive sense, but it just lying there lifelessly is still having impact on the body. Maybe not in a positive direction. So there is no such thing. Forget it. There is no such thing as a non-contributing member. The question is, how are you contributing? 
how are you contributing? Is it positively or is it negatively? In addition, look now, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That is a mouthful. According to the effectual, let me say it one more time since it is. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, not only... Not only is every member contributing to being fitly joined together and compacted, but in addition to that, the body is increased as each part functions to the fullest of its ability. There's increase in the body because you do what you can do to the best that you can do it. You have a body regardless, all right? We, we all, you, you can bring two people in here, they have a body, you know, so on and so forth. That, for instance, if I just take this in consideration, for instance, Zach McGee, he goes and works out a lot, all right? Well, he's going to be a little bit more muscly toned than I am, just a little, as a result of that. What has happened in comparison between his body and my body is that he's given increase to his body, are you listening to me? Because he's allowed parts of his body to function to the fullest of their ability. Uh-huh. Amen. And so <laughs> we, we don't want to leave God's body here, his church up on the earth, to be a weakling like me. You want it to operate to the fullest of its ability. And the only way that is possible is if your hand or a finger do your do your place, do your part to the fullest. If you're an organ or an eye or a tongue or a foot, you know, now they say, well, what's the big deal? You don't need an appendix. Well, whatever you are in the body of Christ, you are important and just operate and function to the fullest. Amen. And so we look then at this. This is just God's word. This, this renewing of the spirit. That happened just prior to all this. This renewing of the spirit, the renewing, if you will, of the relationship with Christ, it seemed to have an impact then on their love for people. It bears it out in Ephesians 4.16. It will make the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in what? Love, he said. And so all of this seemed to have, have uh, increased in love these people are for, for, for people in their lives. And here's the, here's the big thing. They have an increased love for people, and they have a lessened love for things. Move of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, a time of refreshing and reconnection with their brothers and sisters and with God. Boom. Man, we're loving people and loving things less. How do you know when it gets out of kelter? Whenever you start loving material things more than you love each other. More than you love God. More, more than you love the things that concern the body. And the fact of the matter, well, that happened. It can happen now. It can still happen today. Whenever our hearts get set aflame and anew by his spirit, we can love people more than we have a love for things. And so what these Christians do, being impacted by all this, renewed with all of this, they adopted a Christian view of their possessions. The, the Christian view that they adopted was, this is how it's stated in our Bibles, and it's a little wordy too, but verse 32 says, 
neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. That's kind of just, I mean, that aught that's thrown in there is really kind of a curveball. It kind of messes with you. But the Christian view that they had of their possessions was this. What I possess is not my own. That almost seems contra- almost a contradictory term. What I possess is the, you know, what I what I possess is not my own. Yeah, basically what they knew was this. I hold, what I hold, I hold in trust for God. You realize What you have is what you hold in trust for God. What that means, anytime that God would need to call upon anything you own, you're just, you're just holding it in trust. He can call for anything that you own at any time, and you should be saying, that's all right because it wasn't mine to begin with. They had come to this place that they were just holding things in trust for God. Deuteronomy 8 and 17 and 19. These are very, very good verses. I love them. I, I thought about just reading more, and, and, and I might before it's all said and done. But nevertheless, Deuteronomy 8 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And thou shalt say in thine heart, speaking to the children of Israel, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. He's talking to Israel. He said, you, you're, you're saying that your power and the might of your hand has gotten you, you, you this wealth. Let, let me just, just read off some of the things that he led up to this in. He was talking to them. He said, you don't need to forget the Lord your God. Don't you forget the Lord your God. Don't you forget the Egyptian bondage that you were in whenever I found you and I pulled you out of there. And he begins asking them questions. He said, and by the way, who was it that led you through the great and terrible wilderness? And by the way, who was it that delivered you from the fiery serpents and the scorpions? And by the way, who was it that was there whenever you were in a drought and there was no water to drink? And who was it that brought water from a rock for you? And who was it that fed you manna from heaven? And who was it that brought you to a place that your fathers didn't know of and gave you food that they didn't know of? Who was it that did all these things? And then he says, and you're saying, by your might and by your power, you have gotten this wealth? He says in verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get well. End of story. I've said it before, but I felt in spirit today to say it again here this evening. But Brother McGee, I'm the one that gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I work 14 hours a day, 6 days, sometimes 7 days a week. Whenever I get done at the end of those week or 2 weeks or a month, however your payment goes, all of that belongs to me. Did you forget that your ability to get up in the morning is only sustained by God? That the very next breath in your body is because of God? The health that you have that enables you to work one even day is God. It's God that's given you power to gain and to acquire wealth. So before you call it yours, remember who has you in the palm of his hand. Now, now, I'm going to dabble here just a little bit and I think I got biblical way to do so. I'm not chasing a rabbit, but I think I can tie it. I realize that the giving that's taking place here in Acts 4 was giving that was taking place for a specific need. All right? The needs of what were taking place in Jerusalem, the saints there at that time, all right? I realize that this wasn't per se the normal giving of tithing and offering, all right? That was taking place as a special need. 
However, that's a key word. <laughs> However, I believe I can talk about tithing and offering just a little and not, not stray from our subject matter. Because in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul was going through different cities, as I've already mentioned, even in Romans, and collecting monies from people, monies that people had set aside. That's important. That they had set aside to help those at Jerusalem. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. It says, this is, this is the admonition of Paul. He says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come. Now, I'm not getting into a full-blown Bible study on tithing and offerings right here. But consider these few things here today. In other words, Paul says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Paul was given a prescription here that he was describing, a prescription that should be consistent. That's important. That should be consistent. He said, you do it upon the first day of the week. You do it upon the first day of the week. He said, lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That is a good New Testament way of saying, or pay your tithe. Lay up in store as God has prospered you. In other words, lay aside in proportion to what God has given you. If that makes sense. Because see, tithing is about proportional giving. Tithing is about proportional giving. It's not about amounts of everybody being equal in giving. But it's about equal proportion of sacrifice. 10%. Your sacrifice is the same as my sacrifice. You make $500 a week. Another person makes $1,000 a week. You all give 10%. That's equal sacrifice. The amounts may not be equal. We're not talking about equal giving amounts. We're talking about equal proportion of sacrifice. You lay up in store according, huh, according to how God has prospered. You. Now listen, it's implied in the, the second verse of 1 Corinthians 16, it's implied that this giving is the first day of the week that it was to happen each week. Paul's not there yet. He gives this command, do it the first day of the week. And so each week, the first day, listen to me. And this, this here is really more practical than anything. Giving should just be systematic. Should be systematic. What do you mean? You probably get paid that way. For the most part. Most establishments. You get paid by week. Right? Or maybe by every two weeks. Some people get paid by the month. If you have a job that's a little dynamic. It might be dynamic. I understand that. You evangelize. <laughs> you know. But what I'm saying is this. How do your bills arrive? Huh? You probably know what date such and such bills going to occur, right? They happen systematically. You get paid systematically. Let me state this. The church, believe this or not, we get bills systematically. There's certain times a month that certain things are due. 
This is very practical tonight, so please forgive me. It's very practical. Your giving needs to be systematic. If you get paid once a week, pay tithes off what you get once a week. If you get paid every two weeks, pay tithes off what you get every two weeks. If you're helter-skelter all over the place, my goodness, if you paid your bills like that, you'd be in trouble. And for that matter, the church has regular bills that come at a regular time of the month. Paul says the first day of the week, bring what you got. Some around here do it on Sunday morning. Some do it Sunday night. Some do it Wednesday. It all differs. But by all means, please, in a very practical sense, just get systematic. Can we get real practical and say this? It's hard. It's hard to be systematic when people's asking what they need to do to catch up. God, well, praise the Lord for the new birth of the church in Acts. Amen. As practical as I can be. And, and I don't have a soapbox. I don't have a sword to grind. I don't have anything. But this was just in the study, and so I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> just real practical. And you know I don't do this all the time, right? You understand that? What I'm saying is this. If, if there's a mortgage that happens around here at a certain time each month. Now, those of you that come to our business meetings at the first of the year know that the dimes that come in here are virtually almost the dimes that go out of here. If it's given to other things, missionaries, and then our own bills. What that means is this. We depend on system. You say, well, I live paycheck to paycheck. Well, sometimes the church does too. You can schedule your life with your bills because you know you're getting paid on such and such date. We need to be able to get to a place around here that you're systematic enough with your giving. We know about what's going to come in on such and such date. Because people are faithful, consistent, and systematic in their giving. All right, we'll get off that horse and we can go on tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? And you don't want to get caught like Cain who brought also, but there was a delay in his bringing. Okay. I, this is not a, a tithe and offering Bible study. I'm telling you. I'm convincing you so I can convince myself about that. Now, here's the thing. Note, will you, Paul says, if you, if you lay aside the first every week as God has prospered you, he said that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul says, if you'll do this right here that I talked to you about, There'll be no need for, let me say, there'll be no need for a special offering. There'll be no need for gathering. There'll be no need for a special offering when I come. In other words, he's saying, when everybody gives systematically and sacrificially, the need for special offerings are lessened, if not eliminated. Now, that's not to say I'll never stand up here and say, you know what, we have a special project boundary come up. You know, if you can give toward it, great. But you know something I'm not going to do, and if other people do it, that's fine, but it don't take place around here. And I don't say, well, who's going to give me a 1000 who's going to give me 100 all that. If you do that, been around that, that is fine. That's okay. But I got personal conviction, and it's going on in this church, and that's just not going to take place. I believe we believe God can heal somebody, and we say we're going to pray and go heal God to do it. We can do the same with our finances, say we have a need with the church. God can take care of it. 
And just because I feel that way doesn't mean whenever those things happen, I don't participate because I do. All right? So at this time, people are selling land or property they had, and they're bringing it the total sale price to the apostles, and then the apostles are using it accordingly to fit the individual needs of those people that are out there, and the Bible says that no one was found lacking. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This is not like, you know, the, these people out here are selling the only home they got, and they're selling the only piece of land they got. No, no they're, they're selling things that they have, uh, you know, that they can liquidate into cash and for the purpose of, of assisting those that are in need. So this is the pattern. Everything's taking place. Selling things, bringing the total sale price to the apostles, the apostles distributing as it was needed. And so we receive in Acts, the, the last part of Acts chapter number four, a very positive illustration of this through the man Barnabas. His name is Joseph, but the apostles surnamed him Barnabas, meaning son of consolation or encourager or comforter. All right. This is Barnabas's debut. In the scripture, we're going to hear more about him later in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, about 25 times he's mentioned in the book of Acts and five times elsewhere. So he, he becomes a pretty important character in the book of Acts. But this is his debut. Uh, we find out later that he's an encourager of Paul when Paul starts out on some of his first missionary journeys. And then he was also an encourager to his cousin John Mark who had a failure. And, and Barnabas kind of nursed him through that till he was beneficial again to the kingdom. So this is Barnabas. But the Bible says that Barnabas, he followed suit with how the pattern was. He sowed a piece of land that he had. He brought the money from it and he laid it at the apostles' feet for them to use accordingly at their discretion. Can I pause and say one more thing? Can I say one more thing? I understand sometimes we have designated things you can give to. We ask for you. Right? And that's fine, and that has purpose. But whenever you just give what you normally give in offerings and tithes into the work of the Lord, you don't need to be sitting back and saying, you know what, they need to do this with that. Barnabas said, here it is, apostles. God's anointed you and appointed you to be leaders over us, and we are confident then in what you decide to do with these funds. Now listen, if you're thinking I'm trying to find a loophole and do some dirty business, my life is open, come by, you want to see the books, that's great. Again, we have business around here, you can show up if you want to, we talk about it then. It is wide open unto you for these purposes. But what I'm saying is this, you cannot sit in your pew and say, well, I gave $1,000 or $500, and I tell you what, I just really don't agree with that, or I agree with this. Listen, once you gave it, did you give it? Once you gave it, you let go of it. Did you give it to God? You give it to God. And so God is just somehow through the dynamic of the structure and the hierarchy of church. He set pastors and all these different people in leadership in order to have wisdom and knowledge, hopefully through prayer and supplication to God, that this is what we need to use this for. That's what we need to use that for. That's when we need to save it. That's when we need to spend it. And the last thing that you need to do is start dictating from the pew. Well, that needs to go here. That needs to go there. No, no, no. Give it to God. Entrust who you entrust your soul with. People be more eager to entrust some, their soul with somebody than they would their money. Okay. And so Barnabas brought it. He sold. He put it down at the feet. 
didn't put no discretion, <laughs> no little this is what this is supposed to be used for. He just gave it to them, and they used it accordingly. That's a positive illustration. But Acts 5 opens up with a negative illustration. I want to read the first 11 verses, and you're proud that I did this while you're sitting. Verse 1, but, very important, first word coming out of the gate in total contrast to just what has happened. You understand that? that that's a contrasting word. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, here we go. Now, what is your mind starting to think? Because you've seen the pattern set up. People's selling, giving the full amount at the fee, and then they're using it. Barnabas, a particular instance, did it. And so now we start to read, Ananias, Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. We're thinking, well, here we go. Right? Sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Y'all, that means he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. I'm sure it did. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Let me just lighten the mood a little bit. Some, I've heard it said that, why in the world was the wife three hours late? Because she's always spending part of the money they kept back. <laughs> she was shopping. <laughs> oh, Lord, help. Anyway, it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. She died. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. Positive illustration, Barnabas. Negative illustration, Ananias and Sapphira. Because the member, the pattern of things, I'm selling it, I'm bringing the full price, setting at the apostles' feet, they use it how they need. So, so, so you know, th it's just kind of shared in generality, you know. Uh, then Barnabas comes along, he does the same thing, so we're expecting to read the same thing here in chapter 5 as it opens. But here is something different. A sale is made part of the money is kept and laid aside and another part is put at the apostles feet and what's happening really is this the givers since this is the pattern taking place this is what's going on all selling all being laid what the givers then are attempting to do here is to be seen as having given the full sale price in the eyes of the people when in reality they did not. 
As a matter of fact, you even get a little feeling from reading those first 11 verses. You can read them again whenever you get home. You get a feeling almost from reading these verses that they may have even told some people. Yeah, we're going to do that too, you know. You know how it is whenever giving gets started, whenever they do the $100, $200. I'll get $200. Well, I'll get $200. I'll get $500. I'll get $500. You know, people feel the pressure. And then a lot of them never come through with their pledge. And they lied to the Holy Ghost and to God and everybody else in the building. But can you see it? Well, there's a, well, you know, and I said, Safari, well, there went Ann and Joe, you know, they went and sold. They're all, well, looky there, there's Barnabas in there. Well, there's, there's Lou Ann. She's a, you know, bless God, she just making it through. And she just went and, well, honey, uh-huh. And, and you know how it is. Stuff like that happens. Well, thank God for such and such. God bless them. Yeah, they gave, thank God. Isn't it great to get that little pat on? Bless God, they just gave. Boy, that'd feel good, God. Have that little pat on the back. So they, they, they go and they, they, they sell. They bring only a part of the price. <laughs> doing the same as everybody else had done, or at least in the eyes of people, it looked as though they was doing the same as everybody else has done. But here's the, here's the fact of the matter, folks. And this might be somewhat of a surprise. The issue right here in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the issue is not the money. The issue is not the money. The issue isn't that, listen to me, hear me out. The issue isn't that they kept part of the money. All right? Paul, Peter rather, even told them in verse number four of Acts 5, he said, whilst it remained, was it not in thine own hand? He said, and after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? In other words, remember, nobody was required. This was not legislated. Anybody go out and sell what they have and then give all the sell price to the person. That was never required. They were not required to sell the property or give any of the sell amount. And the money was theirs. The property was theirs. I mean, either way, the money was theirs. Whether you keep it in property form or you liquidate it to cash form, right? The money, the value, the worth is theirs either way. So this is not, listen to me, this is not the case of robbing God of money. This is the case of robbing God of glory. Uh-huh. Because they wanted to have recognition to be given to them for the whole amount. Although only they gave part. In other words, they attempted to gain credit for a greater personal sacrifice than what they actually made. Now let's really get down then just to the brass tacks of it. If there were even people there, oh, great job, Barnabas, thanks for selling that and giving it all. If there was that even going on in the crowd and people were applauding each other's sacrificial gift, here's the brass tacks. In essence, the true glory belonged to the Lord in all of this matter. Because it was his presence that came down and shook the place. It was his spirit that came down and renewed them. Uh-huh. That spawned the unity. That spawned the giving. Are you hearing me right now? It's because all of that, all these things have really flown from the Lord. Well, Brother McGee, I thought this happened because the people prayed. Yes and no. Yes, 
Because whenever you pray, that puts you in alignment with heaven. puts me in alignment with what heaven is up to, with what heaven is doing. Many times prayers, it's not you praying and dictating through your prayers what's going to happen, but it's you getting in line with what God is doing. Uh-huh. And, and so here's Ananias and Sapphira. In essence, you know what it comes down to? They're just a bunch of hypocrites. And so here's comfort. In the early church, they dealt with hypocrites. So don't allow your feathers to get ruffled the next time outsiders talk about there's a bunch of hypocrites in your church. Well, they were in the early church too. And consider this. The very presence of a hypocrite or the very presence of a counterfeit is the greatest evidence that there must be a real somewhere. <laughs> there cannot be a false if there's not a real. Because all the false does is imitate the real. So bless God, there might be a few, but what that tells me, there's something very real and genuine as well to be sought out. Now look, Paul says, or Peter says, I'm getting Paul and Peter switched here today. Peter says, in verse 3, he says, Ananias, he said, you lied to the Holy Ghost. And then verse 4, he, he says, you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. I'm glad he made that little tie there for us. It's a parallelism. You lied to the Holy Ghost, you lied to God because, exactly. One the same. And so we have these two, these two giving accounts, these two giving episodes here, a positive one, a negative one. Now look, one of them, Barnabas, was the result of being filled with the Spirit, Spirit-filled. We see other places in the Scripture where the Bible even declares Barnabas to be Spirit-filled, but he's a part of that group where the Holy Ghost fell anyway, so he's Spirit-filled or Spirit-controlled, might you say. So the positive aspect, this positive reaction of one of these is because a man is spirit-filled. The other, the negative reaction of the thing is because someone was Satan-filled. Satan-controlled. But in that, Peter even revealed, because Satan just can't come inside of a believer. Look what Peter says. He asked him in verse 3. He says, the key word there, but Peter said, Ananias, look at the word. Why hath Satan, why hath Satan filled thy heart? Because the why is almost indicating, Peter, you have given in here somewhere. Uh-huh. You, 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 you have given in some here somewhere to allow Satan to have a foothold upon your thoughts and your thought processes right now. Now look at this as well. Look. In the first setting, in the first setting, unity resulted in sacrificial giving. In the second setting, unity, Peter says, Sapphira, you agreed with, that's unity. He said, you agreed with your husband in this matter. In the second part, unity resulted in sin. Unity is a very, very strong proponent. That again can go either positively or negatively. 
No, yeah, go back to Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 and see the Tower of Babel built again. They all were working together. They were connections, speaking the same language. We're going to build a tower that reaches unto heaven. Right? They were unified, but they were in a negative direction. Unity is powerful. You can either use it for good or for evil. Amen. Both Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, they both died because of this. Now listen, Peter didn't kill them. He killed them. He didn't kill them. Look at the scriptures. Peter did not kill them. He didn't even pronounce like death on them. Thus and so, this is going to happen because you said such and such. Listen, I don't know if he even had any idea. He might have just been as surprised as everybody whenever Ananias stood before him that first time. And he said, do you lie against the Holy Ghost? Yeah, and all this stuff. And they had a conversation. All of a sudden, there's a man. He's passed out on the floor, and he has no pulse. What? He might have just been, he's dead. I guess that's the way God handles his business today. I mean, I know it wasn't just in that flipping, but. Calling the EMTs from the camels over, Brother Fred, and first responders to come see what's going on, you know. He's dead. You know? And so, and so they went very quickly. The young men came, bound him up, rode him up, took him out, and they, they buried him. And so Sapphira shows up three hours later. <laughs> that still tickles me. And, and not knowing the Bible says anything that happened, didn't know that her husband had died three hours earlier. And no, Peter has even given her a point of time to confess. He says, is this the amount? Is this right? Absolutely. She's in agreement, in unity with her husband. And look what Peter told her. Again, he's not pronouncing this over. He says, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. I don't know this for a fact. I don't think he's pronouncing anything upon her. I think he's just saying, I know how God just dealt with her husband. It might probably be what he's going to deal with this. And so she dies, and she is taken out. Now listen, folks, all that is very horrible that they would try to get this credit, and they would still really, over all glory, that just should have been totally God's and none else. But perhaps, I'm just throwing there in as a perhaps, perhaps had Ananias and Sapphira judged their own sin, God would not have had to have judged them. And that goes good for our lives. Because whenever judgment day happens someday, he will be coming as the judge, not the Savior. And he will judge the sins that we've not taken into consideration before that point in time. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one: for if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. All right? Now, I don't know. I don't know the exact reason why God took their life. You almost heard it. You don't know? No, I don't know. I'm not God. I mean, I don't know the exact reason why God took their life. But I do have an assumption. I emphasize that. An assumption that evidently God seemed to think that there needed to be a lesson in reverence right here at the point of the beginning of the church in a very unforgettable way for the church. Because listen... These people, very new, very fresh, are very impressionable. Mm-hmm. Very impressionable. I mean, look how quickly they start to respond to this giving thing. They're very impressionable. And that was great. But you wouldn't want a spirit like Ananias and Sapphira to get loose 
in a bunch of impressionable people. Consider what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.11. It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set to do evil. He said, normally there is not quick judgment upon the wicked. And as a result of that, everybody that's looking at the circumstance situation says if they get by with it, I'll do it and I can get by with it. Perhaps God is trying to set something up right here at the very birth of the church that he wanted everybody to know. Just because this happened, that doesn't mean low, you know, Mo and Curly and you can all get by with this same type of stuff. In other words, God was trying to snuff out some potential problems. There's, there's times like that, not even God, but sometimes in a church, we kind of take action sometimes quicker than we take action other times because we are trying to snuff out some potential problems. And so please just, please just have a little faith right here. Why did they do it that time and not do it that time as quick as they did another time? It's because sometimes being the watchman on the wall, I can see a little further down the road and see a potential problem that I need to snuff something in the sand a little quicker. And look what the result was in verse 5. The Bible says fear came upon all those that heard these things. They didn't even have to be there. They just heard it like, wow. In verse 11, fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things after Sapphira. And so what happened is there, from all of this, from this action of God, there was a holy reverence that resulted both in the church and outside the church. Boy, we need some of that. Let me tell you, look how impactful it was. And this will be in next week, but Acts 5, verse 13, look how impactful it was. Signs and wonders started happening again by the apostles, which is something they prayed for in verse number 12 and verse 13. And the rest durst no man join himself to them. Them who? The apostles, the disciples. Nobody else joined themselves to them, but the people magnified them. You know why? You know why that nobody at that time just joined themselves? Because they just seen a man and a woman that tried to steal glory that belonged to God and their lives was taken. You say, oh, my God, they're scaring people not to join themselves with the apostles because of that. No, what it's causing them to do is think and contemplate the life that they're about ready to begin. All of the Old Testament sacrifice, you had to bring a certain thing for sin offering, so much for, you know, a burn offering. You know what that was? So that you wouldn't go into the tabernacle with mindless worship. You had to consider what you were doing. If I'm going in for a sin offering, this is what I must have. This must be its condition. You just wasn't going in there just, no. You were considering what you were doing. We need some good old-fashioned Old Testament offerings in today's age so that people, when they walk with God, come to church, live their life, are considering what they are joined at that time but they magnified the, they, they magnified them these are great men these are glorious men you know what it all just did it just it brought a seriousness because we live in an hour I tell you we live in an hour that churches are minimizing the seriousness of being a child of God mm-hmm. and so what all this was doing was bringing back a holiness to where holiness and I'm not talking about dress code Talking about a reverence, a holiness back to where the holiness needed to be. And that the glory was due unto 
his name. You can stand with me. See, because it wouldn't have done well here in the beginning if a spirit of glory seekers bred in the church. It's not good at any time. It would have been good here in the beginning if there was a spirit of glory seekers to bred in the church. Because in essence, if that happened, if a spirit of glory seekers bred in the church, it would cease to be really a church. It would cease to be what it was intended and designed to be. If that happened, I mean, besides, we look at the Old Testament and Isaiah, God told him, he said, he said, I, I, my glory, I will not give to another. He said in Corinthians, he said, no flesh, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. So again, please understand, what we're talking about, we're not talking about a money issue as much as we're talking about a glory issue. But there are things set in the pattern that we can learn about giving Amen. And from Paul that all sometimes you're always around places that always have to have a special offering for something. And you know me. If you've been around this church long enough, you know what my theory is, don't you? I'd rather be seen as the church that has the handout to give rather than to receive. You know that even within this community. You know, and I have nothing against. I know people are in places, you know, they got to do 59 tubs of peanut, peanut brittle and this and that and so on and so forth. And always in the community, we need, we need, we need. You know, what kind of stigma does that put on the church that you're always in the place of needing? And I say I serve God and he can supply all, and you know. I'd rather be in the place that I can give. Amen. And that's what it comes by. By people's faithful giving. Tithing and offerings. And yeah, we'll have every once in a while a need that comes up and we'll just say, here's the need. Give, and we'll take what we get and we'll go. God has been so good to us. God has been so good to us. But when the day is ended, the glory is due unto his name. Can we glorify that name right now? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.